Welcome to the Competitive Advantage Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide free content to prepare high school students for the path of life, thus giving them a competitive advantage. Archbishop Alter High School is proud to serve as your host for this program. My name is uh, Professor Wolf from Wright State University, and, and so I've got a half an hour here to talk to you guys uh, about uh, engineering. I'm a mechanical engineer, and uh, so I'm very biased towards, towards engineering. So the first view graph I have up here is, is the lead us to talk a little bit about what is engineering. And so I'm planning, making a little fun here to get started. You know, if it's green, it's biology. I think you guys know what I'm referring to there. Uh, if it stinks, it's chemistry. Okay, um, I really like to pick on the physicists here. You know, if, it's, if it doesn't work, I just blame it on physics, right? Um, but if it does work, I say, ah, oh, it's because uh, an engineer uh, made it, okay? And so what, what is engineering? Okay, in, in a sentence, I say engineering is really applied common sense, okay? Engineers look at the application of science for the human benefit, okay? So what do I mean by that? Well, engineers take all the laws and the physics and stuff that scientists have discovered, and, and to me, the, the, the most classic one is, okay, uh, gravity. So anybody tell me what's the myth uh, of how gravity was discovered? The apple, right? And so who was sitting under that apple tree? Yes, or Isaac Newton, right? And the story goes, right, he was sitting there, and the apple fell from the tree and hit him where? On the head, right? And he goes, oh, there must be some sort of force here. And that caused him to discover gravity, right? Did gravity exist before Sir Isaac uh, said it was there? Yeah, it was there from the time God created all of creation, right? And so... That's the way it is with science, right? Scientists are out discovering things that have always been there. Engineers are problem solvers. And so we look at, take what science knows and tells us and discovers, and we apply it to solving problems to the benefit of society, okay? And so this is an equation, a really complex equation I have here, right? Engineering equals problem solving. Okay, and you can do it at various levels. I, as a mechanical engineer, like to make mechanical things. If you're a computer engineer, you're making things in the computers to help make the computers work better. If you're a biomedical engineer, you're doing biomedical applications to maybe helping with that, okay? But it's always in a complex, ambiguous system. So I look around this room, I see lots of complex, ambiguous systems. Can somebody point out to me a complex ambiguous system. Anybody have one that uh, you, you see? I'll give you a hint. You're sitting on one. A chair. Somebody else tell me another one that's in here. What's another one? If a chair is an example of one, what else is a complex ambiguous system? The sink, exactly. Okay, the table that you're leaning on, right? Maybe the phone, if you have your phone with you, right? This computer is one. All, there's a bunch of them. This room is one, right? The building is one. The window over there is one, okay? This is what engineers 
work on, okay? Now, Theodore von Karman, uh, a scientist and an engineer, and I like Theodore a lot because he's long past dead, uh, but he was, uh, fluid mechanics was his big area of fame, and that's what I do is, is fluid mechanics. And so he said, scientists discover the world that exists where engineers create the world that never was, okay? Forty years ago, some of you are juniors here, I was a junior in high school, and we didn't have things like this. We didn't have this computer, okay? And we all get to enjoy the benefits of those because of engineers. Scientists and engineers, though, have to go hand in hand. I can't do what I do as an engineer if it's not for scientists. Okay, and so even though I poked fun at scientists in the beginning of this presentation, I greatly appreciate all that they do. This uh, list of achievements uh, for the 20th century, what century are we in right now, guys? 21st, right? So the 20th century was from what year to what year? So basically from 1900 to 2000, right? And so these are the list of things that in the 1899 didn't exist that do today. And the list is kind of formulated in the order of some of the top, the number one is what people, and this was made up in about 2000, 2001, the number one thing that in the past 100 years that have benefited our world the most, okay? And I think we all agree, electrification. How many of you like it here when we lose power at your home or wherever you're at? Okay, I don't like that, right? That really annoys me, especially for myself, because I have an all-electric home, so I lose heat when I lose electric, okay? How many of you would like to live in a world that doesn't have an automobile or an airplane? That really benefits us to be able to travel and get around. It's amazing when I think about, right, people used to use horse and buggy was the best that they had to get around, okay? But you go down through this list, right? To me, air conditioning is a, is a big one, right? Computers, obviously. And then at the end of the list, these are some that maybe aren't as quite as important, you know, lasers and fiber optics and, and some of that. So anyway, this was just uh, the first presentation that I wanted to give you to, to talk a little bit about uh, what engineering is. Well, if I can operate this thing, I'm used to. There we go. So, so now I want to get into a little bit of the presentation that that my boss's boss has told me that I'm supposed to share with you, and, and that is uh, about uh, Wright State University where I, where I work and your opportunities there. So I'm going to get through this pretty quick and then hopefully have time to maybe ask you guys some questions and use your whiteboard here if time permits. So here's a picture of the Russ Engineering Center where I have an office, been there since 95. It opened in 92 um, in the Josie Center that was added on. It's right next door to us in, in 06. Um, the newest one that we've added is, is this neuroscience and engineering, and, and it was intended, and it sits right in between our medical school and our engineering school, okay, and it's intended to try to get collaboration between our medical school and the engineers, okay, and, and so uh, I don't know how many of you know about uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I do a lot of work there, but uh, in the last realignment, 
BRAC, as they call it, they brought in a lot of medical uh, folks. And so the amount of medical research and stuff going on at Wright Pat is significantly increased. And so Wright State is, has a really great medical school and engineering school. And so we're trying to leverage that. It doesn't affect me too much because I'm more mechanical engineering that likes to deal more with airplanes. Uh, so here's the degrees that we offer at Wright State. Um, so you, you can read through them. Like I say, I'm down here at mechanical, but all the engineering is important, as is the science too. We offer science degrees at Wright State. You're welcome, you know, to peruse that information. And in my humble opinion, what I want each of you doing is a going to the college, the university that God wants you to go to, studying what He wants you to do, right? Okay, because he doesn't make any mistakes. Each and every one of us are unique people that were made uh, in the image of God to do something. Now, one of the things that, that Wright State tries to pride ourselves on is student success and helping the students to uh, succeed. One of the things that in engineering you're going to find if you talk to people is that the math classes and science classes that students tend to take in their freshman year of college uh, causes a lot of students to end up not making it through engineering, okay? And so we have a lot of incentives, uh, special things that we're doing to try to get the, the students engaged with the engineering faculty early in, in their time in their math, and then uh, some of the uh, help rooms and, and advantage programs to, again, uh, make sure that as many students as come into Wright State that want to study engineering uh, can get through. Uh, this is one that my dean makes me want to have to show. Uh, and basically, this is showing different ACT scores in math. The, the data in this, uh, keep in mind, is, is ends in 06, which is starting to get a little bit older. That's 12 years ago. Um, I'm making myself feel old here. Uh, but you can see that if you take the EGR 101 math class at Wright State adopted back in 2000, um, that the student's success of getting through and graduating, even though they had a lower ACT, and one of the things about Wright State, some people say it's a detriment to Wright State, but you know, Wright State is what they call an open enrollment institution. Okay, what's that mean? That means that if you graduate from high school with a high school diploma and apply to Wright State, we will accept you. Okay, it doesn't matter what your grades were. It doesn't matter what your placement exam scores are. That doesn't mean you get into the program that you want to study necessarily, but you do get into the university. And so we have a higher number of students that end up in engineering with lower ACTs than some of our counterparts at, say, University of Cincinnati or Ohio State. And, and that's just the nature of Wright State. Um, so anyway, this shows how we're able to try to help get those students through uh, to graduation. So here's some opportunities that we have at Wright State. Uh, you can do this, some study abroad. I assume you guys, how many here understand how the co-op program works? Does everybody understand that? Okay, it's five years, right, to get through a four-year degree, but you get one year of working in industry, so you can make a lot of money during that year. Most co-ops, typically, their, their beginning salary is, is around 17 bucks an hour. Okay, and then their last year, they're probably making a lot more like closer to $25 to $30 an hour in, in their last year. Do we have a clock in here so I have some idea? Yeah, but it's very bad. Okay, so I just want to make sure that I'm not 
running over your time. So, so here's uh, the scholarship. A lot of this stuff, the deadlines have passed. Um, so uh, I'm going to leave these with the uh, the teacher. So if if you need to get more information on this, uh, get the the stuff from her. Uh, but like most universities, right? There's lots of scholarships out there. Um, one of the things that goes on at universities, right, is research. And so here's an idea of some of the research uh, that we're doing. Um, you know, we work a lot with big data and cybersecurity at Wright State. That's a big part. Our CS program is, is very well known um, and does a great job. Um, you know, I work in this area uh, primarily, um, and so I haven't had the privilege of working with some of the real small uh, flapping wing type of aircraft. Uh, but, but I do get to work um, on a lot of the modeling and simulation of, of the aircrafts. Uh, manufacturing is, is a big part of things. Robotics, and, and if you're into that uh, stuff, as is the, the biomedical human factors aspect uh, of things. And so really, as I said earlier to you, the important thing is that you, know, you try to find what it is that I like to say to students, gets that fire in the belly that you're like, man, I get to work on this. You know, I would do this for free, but you're going to pay me to, to do this. This is really cool. I mean, I, you know, that's what you're trying to find right now. And I find I talk to your to your teacher. I, I try find it hard to believe that somebody that's 16, 17, um, 18 years old that we're asking them to make decisions and decide what they want to do when they're 47 or 48 years old, 30 years from now. You know, I don't even know, can't even tell you what kind of jobs and what, you know, 30 years from now. When I look back to 30 years ago, uh, what I was doing and, and what's available, um, it's hard to me, for me to imagine what the world's going to be in that time frame. So uh, hopefully you can uh, do like a couple of these students that I have here, a couple examples. Leroy uh, was a student that was in my a thermal one class that I'm teaching here at 11 o'clock this morning back at Wright State. It's a sophomore level class. Uh, he went on to get his PhD at Ohio State after uh, graduating from Meadowdale. I think most of you are familiar with Meadowdale's here right in Dayton. Um, and then got his uh, BS and, and MS in mechanical engineering, went to Ohio State. He's now a professor uh, down at Emory-Riddle. And, and, uh, and so that's just a, a example. I've got another one here of another student. Uh, Katie, uh, I didn't have because she was a CS major and is a little bit north of, of uh, Dayton here where she went to school. She stayed at Wright State for all three of her degrees and is now a professor uh, at uh, Xavier um, University. And so just, just a couple uh, examples uh, of some things. And so I think I have a little bit of time here. I'm going to grab a marker and, and kind of give you an impromptu lecture, okay? And so... We'll, we'll see how this goes. So like I say, I am fluid mechanics is what I typically love to teach. Um, and I want to say to you, keep in mind, air we treat as a fluid. Okay? And so we have compressible and incompressible fluids. Okay? Water, if I grab my, my water bottle here, and I, if I filled this thing up to the top and, and then shut the, the lid and tried to compress this bottle, right? It doesn't compress very easily because water is an incompressible substance. If I took all the water out and 
put the thing on and there's just air in there, what could I do when I try to squeeze it, guys? I could crush it. It would compress, right? Because air is a compressible fluid, right? How many of you have, have ever been to a fire station or seen a fireman or fire truck? Okay, all of you. Okay, have you ever seen them uh, try to use a fire hose and spray something with it? Okay, ever seen a picture of somebody doing that? Do they just throw the hose out there and turn it on, or does somebody have to hold it? Why do they have to hold it? Anybody know? So, that's right. And Newton's second law is F equals MA. And so there is an acceleration that's going on with that water because of the nozzle. As you said, you're accelerating it, right? And so there's a force. And if I don't, it's like your garden hose. You go put that out and turn it on, right? It starts flapping around. Well, you can imagine how that hose for the fireman would do that, right, if he wasn't holding on to it. So I'm going to draw a very crude picture here of a nozzle, okay? So the flow goes inside this from left to right, okay? And I've got water going through this, okay? And as we said, there's an acceleration, so there's a force here, okay? Now, I want you to now think of this as air going through and not water, okay? Air is a compressible substance, okay? As long as the Mach number is less than one, and somebody tell me, what's Mach number defined as? Anybody know? So if I say to you that I'm traveling at Mach 1, what am I traveling at? Anybody know? I'm traveling to the speed of sound. Okay, Mach number is the speed of sound. Okay, so Mach number is actually defined as the velocity over A, where A is the speed of sound. Okay? Has, do you know, has, has man ever traveled faster than the speed of sound? Okay. Do you anybody know who did that? Who was the first man to travel faster than the speed of sound? Anybody know his name? Very good. Okay. Before Chuck Yeager did that in the 40s, a lot of scientists and engineers said, man can't travel faster than the speed of sound. If we try to do that, bad things are going to happen. Okay. They were wrong, but we didn't know because we hadn't traveled faster than the speed of sound before. Okay. Now, the interesting thing that was discovered once we started being able to go faster than the speed of sound is, in this problem, I said to you the velocity here, if I make this 1 and this 2, okay, the velocity at 1 is less than the velocity at 2. We said there was an acceleration, right? Acceleration means that the velocity is going to go up. If I have air and Mach number is greater than 1, this is all true with Mach number less than 1, if Mach number is greater than 1, my flow has to go the opposite direction in this to get my velocity to increase. Has anybody ever seen the space shuttle? A picture of it. What's the engines look like at the bottom of the space shuttle? Does anybody know? Can anybody describe? It looks like a bell, right? It's sort of, right? The, they kind of flare out. The reason they flare out, they kind of look like this, in the opposite direction. 
the flow from out of the space shuttle is going this way. The reason that is done is they want the velocity at one here, velocity at one, to be greater than the velocity at two. And if the if it's a gas that's flowing out, okay, if it's a gas and the Mach number is greater than one, what will happen here, the velocity at two will be less than one, and so my velocity will increase going this way. So if I come in over here and Mach number is equal to two, I will then have over here the Mach number is equal to three. It's increasing. And the faster I get it to go, okay, the more thrust that it will cause to make that uh, space shuttle go up. And so that's just one example of some of the stuff in engineering and science Okay, this is something I get to teach at Wright State. I'm teaching this class this afternoon at 3.30 to talk about compressible flow and what happens there. And I teach the students about the difference between mock stuff that happens below the speed of sound and things that happen above the speed of sound. How am I doing on time? I've been doing pretty good. So I'm going to open up to questions. I think i got a little bit of time here. Any questions you guys want to ask me about engineering, about college, uh, you know, about whatever. I'll just open up and you know, if you want to ask about right state, ask about right state. So, so I, I do, um, let's see what I, I've got some slides here. Uh, so here's, here's some of the um, research that I do at Wright Pat. And so one of the things that we try to do is we need to model uh, airplanes. And so uh, let's get down here. Yeah, here's rapid based, uh, rapid model based. And so what we do a lot is we will have a cockpit and then simulate the whole plane, everything around it, okay? It's called a hardware in the loop. And so the hardware that we have is the pilot in the cockpit, and the rest of everything else is simulation. Now, the key to making that happen is that simulation has to be faster than real time, right? Because the pilot is going to sit there, and he expects I move a control, and he expects things to happen, whether it's the, the whole uh, cockpit that he's sitting in is on a gimbal and, and moves around, uh, but he expects that to happen like it would if he was flying an airplane. And so that means it has to happen in real time. And so a lot of work that, that is going on in the computer science world is to make sure that we can process this information and get things to go fast enough that we could do this in real time. And the interfaces between the computer and back to the actual hardware uh, can happen, okay? Uh, the other thing that I, I do uh, research on, I'll be meeting with some students uh, this morning at, at 8.30 at the base, is something called a CFD. And so CFD stands for Computational Fluid Dynamics, and we do it all on the computer, okay? And we use the benefits of, of what the computer scientists bring up for us to be able to do that, that calculation. And so we'll model this flow inside of, of this nozzle, okay? And, and look at uh, things like that, okay? Does that help? Yeah. 
and and so, you know, there's there's just uh, like I say, I mean, I, I was in a meeting yesterday with a, a colleague at Wright State who's uh, does a lot of biomedical, and he uses CFD to model blood flow inside the human body and inside the heart. And I, I went into his office after the meeting, and there he had a model of of a of a heart, and and that's what his graduate students uh, look at. Okay, so. So really, there's there's just tremendous opportunities, um, you know, whether it's at Wright State or whatever university, um, you know, I've got I guess a few moments here. I'm gonna I want to tell you that, in my opinion, and I said this, uh, you, some of you might have heard it, but the most important thing is wherever you go to college, should be when you get there. It's where it feels like home to you. I was talking to your teacher and ask her where she went. She said the Toledo. And she said it was the right distance from where she grew up, okay? That's a big factor. For me, I went to Purdue University. I grew up in Ohio. It was a state away. It was six hours away, and, and that was the right distance for me. I didn't come home very often. I wanted to get as far away from people that knew me from high school as, as I could. When I, Not a soul that I knew from high school uh, went to Purdue, and nobody from like four years before me had ever been there. And, and that, that was something that was appealing to me. I grew up in an eastern part of Ohio in a small town of about 4,000 people. And, and so I wasn't used to a big city and didn't like a big city. And when I got to Purdue, it looked like a small town, even though there was 30,000 students on the campus. It didn't have the feel of Ohio State when I went there. And I thought for sure I was going to go to Ohio State. If you'd have asked me, uh, at the beginning of my senior year where I would have went, I would have said Ohio State until I did a visit to Purdue. And so I strongly encourage you, wherever you're going, you need to visit the university. Go walk around on the campus, see where you're going to live. I'm biased. I think living in the dorms and on the campus or apartments nearby is, is the right way to experience college. But that's not for everybody. I've got some, some good friends that their kids are living at home and commuting and they're being quite successful. So, you know, don't feel pressured into going someplace just because somebody's told you you've got to go there. It needs to be the place that is home for you because that's where you're going to be spending four years of your life. And my experience is if you're at a place where it feels the environment is comfortable, you feel at home there, then you're going to thrive in your classes. And at the undergraduate level, I don't care if you're engineering, if I go to MIT or Wright State, okay? You're going to get the same education at both places. If you're going to be a good student, I will stack up. I have stacked up the best students at Wright State to the best students at any other university in this country, and they are competitive. A good student is a good student the world over, okay? It doesn't matter where you go to school at your undergraduate, your first degree. If you decide to go to graduate school, then I'll say it makes a difference. It mainly makes a difference as to what professor you're working with, okay? Not necessarily, again, the school, but at graduate school, you work very close with a individual faculty member on research with them, and that's where you really make or your career as a graduate student. But first, you got to get that first degree, and, and go get that first degree and, and enjoy college. I look back at the four years I was in college, and they were the best years of my life. And some, almost all the best friends that I have were people that I met in college. My daughter, who's a junior, doesn't like it when I tell her because she, you know her life revolves around her friends. And she can't imagine not 
having these friends all the time. And I tell her, I say, you know, look, the odds are that these people that, that you have friends with in high school, you're not going to be friends with 10 years after high school. You know, sometimes it happens that, that you do. But most people that I know aren't really staying in communication with friends that they had from high school, but they do from friends that they had from college. And you think about it. When you go to college and if you're staying on campus, that means you may have a roommate there that you're living with, sleeping with every night. Okay, you're maybe eating three meals a day together. When you're in high school, you eat what? Lunch together, one meal a day. You're gone on the weekends, and unless you're doing extracurriculars and interacting with people, you're not interacting with your classmates. When you're at college, especially if you stay there, like I did, for months at a time, you've got all weekend that you're spending with these same people. <laughs> and so you develop some really close ties because of that. And, and that, to me, is, is part of college. Wright State offers that opportunity. Obviously, though, you guys being local, it may not be the best fit. It may be great, though, if you want to stay at, live at home or, you know, my daughter's looking at Wright State. She wants to go there. And I told her, look, you're going to live on campus. I don't want you living with me. <laughs> you know, you need to get out and figure out how to live on your own and take care of yourself. If you have a chance to go and uh, spend a week on a university, stay in a dorm there and, and do something, I strongly recommend taking advantage of that. You're away from your parents and, and you get a little bit of flavor of, of what that's like. And like I say, it's, it's not necessarily for everybody and I'm not trying, but you got to find that right environment that's great for you and the subject. And, that, and so when you get in as a freshman, I highly recommend taking classes that are very basic that will apply for different majors because most students change their majors from the time they enter the university to the end of their freshman year. That's not, and so don't panic if that's what you're doing. Go with the flow. Try to find what gives you that fire in the belly that you just like, man, this, this stuff just really gets me going. It gets the juices going. I can get up out of bed because I get to do this. I don't care what it is. Okay, this stuff gets me going. Thinking about flow going faster than the speed of sound. Last thing, okay, I'm driving in a car 60 miles an hour. How long does it take me to go one mile? One mile, what? One minute, right? 60 miles an hour, okay? If I'm going at Mach 5, five times the speed of sound, how long does it take me to go one mile? That's what the Air Force is trying to do, is to go Mach 5, right? We've got planes that have gone close to like Mach 3. If I can go Mach 5, I will go one mile in one second. Okay? 60 seconds, one second. I want to go one second. Okay? I like to go fast. <laughs> That's why I like the work that I get to do with, with the base and... and aerospace okay you know so anyway I think I've used up my time so I hope I didn't bore you to death and I hope you learned something uh, no problem we hope you enjoyed today's edition of the competitive advantage please be sure to click on the show notes for supplementary materials and helpful links to more information from today's podcast we want to make this as interactive and as valuable as possible so if you have any questions comments feedback or ideas for future episodes, please email us at podcast at alterhs.org. Thank you again for joining us.